0: Chapter Eight of the Vicar of Bullhampton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Vicar of Bullhampton, by Anthony Trollope. Chapter Eight The Last Day. The parson's visit to the mill was on a Saturday. The next Sunday passed by very quietly and nothing was seen of Mr. Gilmore at the vicarage. He was at church, and walked with the two ladies from the porch to their garden gate, but he declined Mrs. Fenwick's invitation to lunch, and was not seen again on that day. The parson had sent word to Fanny Brattle during the service to stop a few minutes for him, and had learned from her that Sam had not been at home last night. He had also learned before the service that morning, that very early on the Saturday, probably about four o'clock, two men had passed through paul's hinton with a huckster's cart and a pony now paul's hinton or hinton st paul's as it should be properly called was a long struggling village six miles from bullhampton and halfway on the road to market lavington to which latter place sam had told his sister that he was going putting these things together mr fenwick did not in the least doubt but the two men in the cart were they who had been introduced to his garden by young brattle i only hope said the parson that there's a good surgeon at market lavington one of the gentlemen in that cart must have wanted him i take it and then he thought that it might perhaps be worth his while to trot over to lavington in the course of the week and make inquiries on the wednesday mary lowther was to go back to loring this seemed like a partial break-up of their establishment both to the parson and to his wife fenwick had made up his mind that mary was to be his nearest neighbour for life and had fallen into the way of treating her accordingly telling her of things in the parish as he might have done to the squire's wife presuming the squire's wife to have been on the best possible terms with him he now regarded mary as being almost an impostor She had taken him in and obtained his confidence under false pretenses. It was true that she might still come and fill the place that he had appointed for her. He rather thought that at last she would do so. But he was angry with her because she hesitated. She was creating an unnecessary disturbance among them. She had, he thought, been now wooed long enough, and, as he told his wife more than once, was making an ass of herself. Mrs. Fenwick was not quite so hard in her judgment, but she also was tempted to be a little angry. She loved her friend Mary a great deal better than she loved Mr. Gilmore, but she was thoroughly convinced that Mary could not do better than accept a man whom she owned that she liked, whom she at any rate liked so well that she had not as yet rejected him. Therefore, although Mary was going, they were, both of them, rather savage with her. The Monday passed by, also very quietly, and Mr. Gilmore did not come to them, but he had sent a note to tell them that he would walk down on the Tuesday evening to say good-bye to Miss Lowther. Early on the Wednesday, Mr. Fenwick was to drive her to Westbury, whence the railway would take her round by Chippenham and Swindon to Loring. On the Tuesday morning she was very melancholy. Though she knew that it was right to go away, she greatly regretted that it was necessary. She was angry with herself for not having better known her own mind, and though she was quite sure that were Mr. Gilmore to repeat his offer to her at that moment, she would not accept it, nevertheless she thought ill of herself because she would not do so. "'I do believe,' she said to herself, "'that I shall never like any man better.' She knew well enough that if she was never brought to love any man, she never ought to marry any man, but she was not quite sure whether Janet was not right in telling her that she had formed erroneous notions of the sort of love she ought to feel for the man whom she should resolve to accept. Perhaps it was true that that kind of adoration which Janet entertained for her husband was a feeling which came after marriage. "'a feeling which would spring up in her own heart "'as soon as she was the man's own wife, "'the mistress of his house, the mother of his children, "'the one human being for whose welfare "'he was solicitous beyond that of all others. "'And this man did love her. "'She had no doubt about that. "'And she was unhappy, too, "'because she felt that she had offended his friends, "'and that they thought that she was not treating their friend well. "'Janet,' she said, "'as they were again sitting out on the lawn "'on that Tuesday afternoon, "'I am almost sorry that I came here at all.' "'Don't say that, dear. "'I have spent some of the happiest days of my life here, "'but the visit, on the whole, has been unfortunate. "'I am going away in disgrace. "'I feel that so acutely. "'What nonsense! "'How are you in disgrace? "'Mr. Fenwick and you think that I have behaved badly. "'I know you do, and I feel it so strongly. "'I think so much of him, "'and believe him to be so good and so wise and so understanding. "'He knows what people should do and should be.' so well that i cannot doubt that i have been wrong if he thinks so he only wishes that you could have made up your mind to marry a most worthy man who is his friend and who by marrying you would have fixed you close to us he wishes it still and so do i but he thinks that i have been-have been mobish and lackadaisical and-and almost untrue i can hear it in the tone of his voice and see it in his eye i can tell it from the way he shakes hands with me in the morning he is such a true man that i know in a moment what he means at all times i am going away under his displeasure and i wish i had never come return as mrs gilmore and all his displeasure will disappear yes because he would forgive me he would say to himself that as i had repented i might be taken back to his grace but as things are at present he condemns me And so do you. If you ask me, Mary, I must tell the truth. I don't think you know your own mind. Suppose I don't. Is that disgraceful? But there comes a time when a girl should know her own mind. You are giving this poor fellow an enormous deal of unnecessary trouble. I have known my own mind so far as to tell him that I could not marry him. As far as I understand, Mary, you have always told him to wait a little longer.' i have never asked him to wait janet never it is he who says that he will wait and what can i answer when he says so all the same i don't mean to defend myself i do believe that i have been wrong and i wish that i had never come here it sounds ungrateful but i do it is so dreadful to feel that i have incurred the displeasure of people that i love so dearly there is no displeasure mary the word is a good deal too strong i wonder what you'll think of all this when the parson and his wife come up on future sundays to dine with the squire and his lady i have long since made up my mind that when afternoon service is over we ought to go up and be made much of at the privets and you're putting all this off till i'm an old woman for a chimera it's about our sunday dinners that i'm angry flo my darling what a face you have got do come and sit still for a few minutes or you'll be in a fever while mrs fenwick was wiping her girl's brow and smoothing her ringlets mary walked off to the orchard by herself there was a broad green path which made the circuit of it and she took the round twice pausing at the bottom to look at the spot from which she had tumbled into the river what a trouble she had been to them all she was thoroughly dissatisfied with herself especially so because she had fallen into those very difficulties which from early years she had resolved that she would avoid She had made up her mind that she would not flirt, that she would never give a right to any man or to any woman to call her a coquette, that if love and a husband came in her way she would take them thankfully, and that if they did not she would go on her path quietly, if possible feeling no uneasiness, and certainly showing none, because the joys of married life did not belong to her. But now she had gotten herself into a mess, and she could not tell herself that it was not her own fault then she resolved again that in future she would go right. It could not but be that a woman could keep herself from floundering in these messes of half-courtship, of courtship on one side, and doubt on the other, if she would persistently adhere to some safe rule. Her rejection of Mr. Gilmore ought to have been unhesitating and certain from the first. She was sure of that now. She had been guilty of an absurdity in supposing that because the man had been in earnest therefore she had been justified in keeping him in suspense for his own sake. She had been guilty of an absurdity, and also of great self-conceit. She could do nothing now but wait till she should hear from him, and then answer him steadily. After what had passed, she could not go to him and declare that it was all over. He was coming to-night, and she was nearly sure that he would not say a word to her on the subject. If he did, if he renewed his offer, then she would speak out. It was hardly possible that he should do so and therefore the trouble which she had created must remain as she thus resolved she was leaning over the gate looking into the churchyard not much observing the graves or the monuments or the beautiful old ivy-covered tower or thinking of the dead that were lying there or of the living who prayed there but swearing to herself that for the rest of her life she would keep clear of what she called girlish messes like other young ladies she had read much poetry and many novels but her sympathies had never been with young ladies who could not go straight through with their love affairs from the beginning to the end without flirtation of either an inward or an outward nature of all her heroines rosalind was the one she liked the best because from the first moment of her passion she knew herself and what she was about and loved her lover right heartily of all girls in prose or poetry she declared that rosalind was the least of a flirt she meant to have the man and never had a doubt about it but with such a one as flora mac she had no patience a girl who did and who didn't who would and who wouldn't who could and who couldn't and who of all flirts was to her the most nauseous as she was taking herself to task accusing herself of being a flora without the poetry and romance to excuse her mr fenwick came round from farmer trumbull's side of the church and got over the stile into the churchyard "'What, Mary, is that you gazing so intently among your brethren that were?' "'I was not thinking of them,' she said with a smile. "'My mind was intent on some of my brethren that are.' Then there came a thought across her, and she made a sudden decision. "'Mr. Fenwick,' she said, "'would you mind walking up and down the churchyard with me once or twice? I have something to say to you, and I can say it now so well.' He opened the gate for her, and she joined him. "'I want to beg your pardon, and to get you to forgive me. I know you have been angry with me.' hardly angry but vexed as you ask me so frankly and prettily i will forgive you there is my hand upon it all evil thoughts against you shall go out of my head i shall still have my wishes but i will not be cross with you you are so good and so clearly honest i declare i think janet the happiest woman that i ever heard of come come i didn't bargain for this kind of thing when i allowed myself to be brought in here But it is so. I did not stop you for that, however, but to acknowledge that I have been wrong and to ask you to pardon me. I will, I do. If there has been anything amiss, it shall not be looked on again as amiss. But there has been only one thing amiss. And, Mr. Fenwick, will you do this for me? Will you tell him that I was foolish to say that he might wait? Why should he wait? Of course he should not wait. When I am gone, tell him so, and beg him to make an end of it. I had not thought of it properly, or I would not have allowed him to be tormented. There was a pause after this, during which they walked half the length of the path in silence. "'No, Mary,' he said after a while, "'I will not tell him that.' "'Why not, Mr. Fenwick?' "'Because it will not be for his good, or for mine, or for Janet's, or, as I believe, for yours. "'Indeed it will, for the good of us all.' "'I think, Mary, you do not quite understand.' there is not one among us who does not wish that you should come here and be one of us a real right-down bulampton omen as they say in the village i want you to be my wife's dearest friend and my own nearest neighbour there is no man in the world whom i love as i do harry gilmore and i want you to be his wife i have said to myself and to janet a score of times that you certainly would be so sooner or later my wrath has not come from your bidding him to wait but from your coldness in not taking him without waiting you should remember that we grow grave very quickly mary here was the old story again the old story as she had heard it from harry gilmore but told as she had never expected to hear it from the lips of frank fenwick it amounted to this that even he frank fenwick bade her to wait and try "'but she had formed her resolution, "'and she was not going to be turned aside "'even by Frank Fenwick. "'I had thought that you would help me,' "'she said very slowly. "'So I will with all my heart "'towards the keys of the store-closets of the privets, "'but not a step the other way. "'It has to be, Mary. "'He is too much in earnest and too good "'and too fit for the place to which he aspires "'to miss his object. "'Come, we'll go in. "'Mind, you and I are one again. "'Let it go how it may.' "'I will own that I have been vexed for the last two days, "'have been in a humour unbecoming your departure to-morrow. "'I throw all that behind me. "'You and I are dear friends, are we not? "'I do hope so, Mr. Fenwick. "'There shall be no feather-moulted between us. "'But as to operating between you and Harry "'with the view of keeping you apart, "'I decline the commission. "'It is my assured belief that sooner or later "'he will be your husband. "'Now we will go up to Janet, "'who will begin to think herself a Penelope "'if we desert her much longer.' immediately after this mary went up to dress for dinner should she make up her mind to give way and put on the blue ribbons which he loved so well she thought that she could tell him at once if she made up her mind in that direction it would not perhaps be very maidenly but anything would be better than suspense than torment to him then she took out her blue ribbons and tried to go through that ceremony of telling him it was quite impossible were she to do so she would know no happiness again in this world or probably in the other to do the other thing it would be necessary that she should lie to him she came down in a simple white dress without any ribbons in just the dress which she would have worn had mr gilmore not been coming at dinner they were very merry the word of command had gone forth from frank that mary was to be forgiven and janet of course obeyed the usual courtesies of society demand that there shall be civility almost flattering civility from host to guest and from guest to host and yet how often does it occur in the midst of these courtesies there is something that tells of hatred of ridicule or of scorn how often does it happen that the guest knows that he is disliked or the host knows that he is a bore in the last two days mary had felt that she was not cordially a welcome guest she had felt also that the reason was one against which she could not contend now all that at least was over Frank Fenwick's manner had never been pleasanter to her than it was on this occasion, and Janet followed the suit which her lord led. They were again on the lawn between eight and nine o'clock, when Harry Gilmore came up to them. He was gracious enough in his salutation to Mary Lowther, but no indifferent person would have thought that he was her lover. He talked chiefly to Fenwick, and when they went in to tea, did not take a place on the sofa beside Mary. But after a while he said something which told them all of his love. "'What do you think I have been doing to-day, Frank?' "'Getting your wheat down, I should hope. "'We begin that to-morrow. "'I never like to be quite the earliest at that work, "'or yet the latest.' "'Better be a day too early than a day too late, Harry.' "'Never mind about that. "'I have been down with old Brattle.' "'And what have you been doing with him?' "'I am half ashamed, and yet I fancy I am right.' "'As he said this, he looked across to Mary Lowther, "'who no doubt was watching every turn of his face "'from the corner of her eye.' i've just been a knocked under and told him that the old place shall be put to rights that's your doing mary said mrs fenwick injudiciously oh no i'm sure it is not mr gilmore would only do such a thing as that because it is proper i don't know about its being proper said he i'm not quite sure whether it is or not i shall never get any interest for my money interest for one's money is not everything said mrs fenwick nevertheless when one builds houses for other people to live in one has to look to it said the parson. "'People say it's the prettiest spot in the parish,' continued Mr. Gilmore, "'and, as such, it shouldn't be let to go to ruin.' Janet remarked afterwards to her husband that Mary Lowther had certainly declared that it was the prettiest spot in the parish, but that, as far as her knowledge went, nobody else had ever said so. "'And then, you see, when I refused to spend money upon it, old Brattle had money of his own, and it was his business to do it.' "'He hasn't much now, I fear,' said Mr. Fenwick. "'I fear not. His family has been very heavy on him.' "'He paid money to put two of his boys into trade, who died afterwards, "'and then for years he had either doctors or undertakers about the place. "'So I just went down to him and told him I would do it.' "'And how did he take it?' "'Like a bear, as he is. He would hardly speak to me, "'but went away to the mill, telling me that I might settle it all with his wife. "'It's going to be done, however. I shall have the estimate next week, "'and I suppose it will cost me two or three hundred pounds. "'The mill is worse than the house, I take it.' "'I'm so glad it is to be done,' said Mary.' after that mr gilmore did not in the least begrudge his two or three hundred pounds but he said not a word to mary just pressed her hand at parting and left her subject to a possibility of a reversal of her sentence at the end of the stated period on the next morning mr fenwick drove her in his little open phaeton to the station at westbury you are to come back to us you know said mrs fenwick and remember how anxiously i'm waiting for my sunday dinners mary said not a word but as she was driven round in front of the church She looked up at the dear old tower, telling herself that, in all probability, she would never see it again. "'I have just one thing to say, Mary,' said the parson, as he walked up and down the platform with her at Westbury. "'You are to remember that, whatever happens, there is always a home for you at Bullhampton, when you choose to come to it. I am not speaking of the privets now, but of the vicarage. How very good you are to me! And so are you to us. Dear friends should be good to each other. God bless you, dear.' From thence she made her way home to Loring by herself. End of chapter 8